Creative Sandbox Way podcast, episode 144. Hello, I am Melissa Dinwiddie, creativity instigator and author of The Creative Sandbox Way, here to explore and investigate anything and everything having to do with transformation through play at work and at home. Whether you think of yourself as creative or not, all humans are wired to create. And play is one of the most effective ways we do that. But as adults, too many of us have forgotten how to play. The creative sandbox way is my method back to what we all know how to do instinctively. It's a mindset and it's a way of life. And now it's a podcast. And I am so glad you're here. Before we get started with today's episode, just a quick note that I just put up registration links for my Create and Incubate Retreat number six, the annual Create and Incubate Retreat 2018, which is September 12th through 16th, 2018, Wednesday through Sunday. Now you may think, oh my God, that's so far away. But I'm telling you about it now because it is a small retreat. There's only 12 total, including me. And most of those spots were snapped up by returning alums at the end of the 2017 retreat. So as of right now, there are only four spots left. Last year's retreat was uh, only eight people, and I've expanded it a little bit. So I wanted to let you know about it right away. Give space to your art for five days with me and walk away transformed. That's what happens at the retreat. Early bird pricing and installment plans are available right now. And you can see what past retreatants have to say about the experience. Don't take my word for it. Take their word for it. Uh, See what they have to say about it and come join us over at createandincubateretreat.com. That's createandincubateretreat.com. And now on with today's episode, which is a conversation and interview with Anna Botelio. Anna works over at Google, which is just about seven minutes from where I live here in Silicon Valley. Not only that, but Anna is the head of the Google Arts program and, uh, and is uh, has a dance background. So let me tell you a little bit about Anna. Anna was born in Rye, New York, but she was raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, just as I was. And she grew up in Palo Alto, where I was also, where I also grew up. And she began studying music and dance very early at age four, ranging from violin and voice to musical theater and world dance. She double majored in English and music at Yale University on the other coast, and she intended to become an orchestral and choir choral conductor. However, she fell in love with dance, and she has been an avid performer and teacher and choreographer ever since. And back in 2009, Anna proposed to Google that they build a dance studio inside the Google headquarters in Mountain View, right here 
in Mountain View, California. And after much hard work, the studio opened on January 10th, 2010, with 14 classes per week. And within a year, the classes grew to 26 per week in such diverse styles as ballet, breakdancing, bhangra, and ballroom. So extremely diverse. And under Anna's management, one in 10 Googlers at the time utilized the Google Danceplex. Pretty amazing. Anna enjoyed creating a, quote, data-driven dance program that sought to fully understand clients and deliver to their true needs instead of surface asks. And you'll hear about that in our conversation. By completing user research, Anna uncovered unmet needs, and she created curriculum to match, such as the hugely popular How to Dance at a Clever Party, an analytical approach that includes PowerPoint slides and a flowchart. And we talked a little bit about that in our conversation. As the Danceplex manager, Anna managed marketing, branding, HR, personnel and program management and metrics to grow the the startup, this Danceplex startup inside Google. And Anna has now grown the program into a more comprehensive Google Arts program that encompasses all visual and performing arts programs on campus for Googlers. And Anna creates easily accessible programming for the Googlers to inspire their creativity and accelerate their innovation. So have a listen to my conversation with Anna Battelio. So I know you have a background in dance and I know that you took that love of dance and you did some really cool things with that, with your work in Google. Can you talk about what, talk about that journey and what you did? Hmm. Well, I have been involved with the arts my whole life. Uh, My mom was a music teacher and then a visual and performing arts administrator in a school district. And she handed me a violin when I was four and too young to really know the difference. Um, So I I grew up playing music. I grew up with a really fun children's theater program in my community that I participated in a lot. So I did a lot of musical theater. And so musical theater was actually where I first discovered how much I loved dance. but I never thought that one could do it professionally. So I actually pursued a degree in music and English and thought that that was going to be my sort of career path. And then I found myself needing uh, to really force myself to practice music, practice piano, but I would scuttle away from the piano bench and, and go do choreography and rehearse with a dance troupe as much as I possibly could. And I sort of one day sat down and thought, wait a minute, this is not going to work. Like, <laughs> you can't be forcing yourself to do music and expect to actually make it in the world. So, um, so I, I sat down with a few local dance teachers and I said, how do you do this? How do you like make a living dancing? And thankfully being in the San Francisco Bay area, um, there's, there's just a lot of 
good flow happening in the economy. And so there's a lot of people that are interested in dance to socialize more outside of work. And so working as a ballroom dance teacher, you can actually make ends meet. Um, there's a lot of techies out there that want to get out and meet other people. And especially if you're able to teach private lessons, uh, it's a, a very viable way to work in the world, um, which might not be true in other parts of the country or other parts of the world. So I, was, I felt very lucky in that. And um, I was teaching enough throughout the Bay Area that I started working in different uh, corporate environments, as well as in gyms, as well as in private studios. And that's how I started teaching dance at Google. And when I was teaching there so much that we started having, you know, 80 people doing a Bollywood class, that's when I pitched them on having a dance studio that was a dedicated space for dance because we just didn't fit in any of the existing sort of gym group exercise rooms. Um, and with a dance studio, the point was really to bring in new people that might not be engaged in a normal gym setting. Uh, there are folks that just don't like gyms. It's not their kind of scene or they find it intimidating or, or whatever it is. They, they want to move with music. They want to move with people. So by opening a dance studio, we were able to engage uh, Googlers who were not otherwise engaging in fitness. And that's really good for the company and for the people. I love that. And so talk about the, the company's mindset in, you know, what was the win for them in getting people dancing? Well, I don't think the company particularly cares how people are moving. I think um, they see the benefit of people moving in general. There is a lot of hard data that supports the more people move throughout the day, the more they'll um, be mentally engaged, the less likely they are to end up with repetitive injuries um, or low back pain. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of scientific studies that support a general level of fitness, 150 minutes a week of cardio just has a lot of positive outcomes for people's body and for their productivity. Yeah, absolutely. You gave a, a talk. I watched a video that of you speaking at a, I think it was a, a conference mm. um, around dance and you were talking about the different, the different people who would come to, a a dance class and the different needs that you were filling for them. And that was really fascinating. Can you talk a little bit about, about how you were approaching filling different people's needs as potential dance clients, basically? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I think you hit it right on the head that um, you need to be focusing on what the people want, not what on you as a dancer or a creative professional might be interested in. Um, so for example, I, I knew that some people had just moved here to the Bay Area for this job and they didn't know other people. So meeting other people was actually their highest priority, not dancing per se. So they might be coming to a partner dance class, not because they intrinsically already want to learn how to do salsa or tango, but just for that social connection. And so it's really important to support that motivation during the class. And you can do that in lots of simple ways by rotating partners, making sure people introduce themselves, making sure the whole class goes together to get dinner afterwards. Um, there's a lot of just little things that teachers uh, can do to make sure that their classes are meeting those deeper needs of people, not just sort of the surface need of, oh, I'm here to teach salsa. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love that. What, what I think, um, you know, a lot of people who listen to the podcast, maybe, you know, there's people who identify as creatives and there's people who identify, well, I'm not really creative, but I wish I were. And a lot of the people who identify as creatives and maybe they want to, you know, I don't know, make money, make a living from their creative thing. Right. And, and there's often a disconnect between the goal of making a living, making money from their creative thing. Mm. And, you know, there's the, there's the love of the creating, Mm-hmm, but then there's the desire to sell what they create. Mm-hmm. And there's a disconnect between those two things because mm-hmm. if you wanna if you wanna sell it, whatever it is, whether it's dance classes or mm-hmm. paintings or whatever, mm-hmm. you have to connect that thing that you're creating mm-hmm. with the people who might be buying it, right? Mm-hmm. And if you can't figure out what those people are really trying to get. And how to serve that need, Mm -hmm. then you're never going to be able to actually sell it, right? Whether the selling is in the in the you know the container of a place like Google, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to you know you're not actually there's no money actually changing hands between Mm -hmm. you and the the end customer, right? Right. Or whether you're say an artist at a street festival or something like that, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And what I love about what you did, you've done is figure out what is that end need? Some people, you know, want to have, want to fill a social need or whatever. And some people want to figure out how to talk to girls or, you know, whatever. I, I think you're right that, um, you know, someone told me once that Frank Sinatra once said that he wasn't an artist, he was an entertainer. Um, I, I feel like there is this uh, pull between the desire to create what fulfills an artist's true heart and spirit and vision and creating something to meet someone else's needs. Those are both wonderful things. And I think being in that quote-unquote entertainer vein of I'm creating something specifically to meet someone's needs. Uh, that can be a beautiful thing. But I, I think one should go into the creative process acknowledging which of those two things one is doing. And they might overlap at times or they might not. There are times where I create choreography and dance for me, you know, that I have a vision of something that I want to do because it's important for me to get that out. Um, and that might not be a commercial product. Um, I'm doing that for the love of it basically. And, you know, there's a whole other question of philanthropy and, and, um, that's a whole other discussion, but then there's, you know, creating something for others, which can be equally rewarding because we're all here to help each other at the end of the day. Like, you know, on our deathbed, when we look back, hopefully we're thinking of like, wow, I really made an impact and I helped the other people in this world and not just what I did for myself. Um, so I think that that can be equally beautiful. And the way that I would approach it was just very simple UX research of talking to people, taking that extra five or 10 minutes before and after class to learn more about why that person was coming to class, what they really wanted to get out of it. Um, or, you know, sometimes user testing ideas before I even created a new product, like, you know, talking with folks here, you know, your very typical, typical, <laughs> stereotypical engineer, um, maybe didn't do dancing growing up. Maybe they don't feel comfortable on the dance floor at a club or a party. 
And so, and I just know my father is an engineer. So I grew up with someone from that sort of engineering mindset who felt like he had two left feet. And so I thought, well, hey, let's see if there's people that'd be interested in a class sort of taught from an engineering mindset to get people comfortable on the floor. And so I created this how to dance at a club or party and analytical approach where I had slides and flow charts and I broke down everything exactly as an engineer might want to know it. No very fuzzy like, oh, just follow along and do what I do because my dad, the engineer, hates that. He's like, you have to explain. You can't, I can't just follow what you're doing. You have to like break it down. So I tried to break down very simple like hip hop club movement so that at the end of the eight weeks, we all went as a class field trip to like a club here in town and danced. And I think people felt successful. And that uh, was me creating a new curriculum, which you could say was like creating my form of art um, with a very specific user group in mind. And that to me is different than creating my own choreography for my own needs. Yeah, absolutely. How, how was that a popular class that Cool. Definitely. Yeah. A lot of people came. Um, Although it's funny, it had a a somewhat of a drop off in the number of people who first showed up to over the weeks. But I think that was not a bad thing. I think there were many people who came for the first week or two because they literally just wanted to see. They weren't actually the target audience. They were just like, what? is this they were very curious but then the people who stuck it through were the ones who like really wanted to learn this and um you know because i studied music extensively i was able and music is all science so um for those folks who really were like oh i can't hear a beat or i can't move on the beat um i really think that almost every human i've ever met is able to hear a beat and is able to move on the beat once they've learned how to. Um, it's it's a skill, the same as kicking a soccer ball or um, walking up and down stairs. I mean, you have to like teach your body how to prepare so that it arrives at the time you want it to arrive. Um, and that's not, no, I don't think people are incapable of doing that. They just haven't practiced it. Yeah, I love it. You're the, you are the right person to be teaching them. <laughs> Subset <laughs> of people. My mom, music teacher, my dad, an engineer. I should be teaching people. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's so cool. So, what is it that you do now? In I know, I know you do lots of things besides just working at Google. But what is your position there right now? So uh, I have a variety of of roles that I'm working on. But as far as the arts and creativity, um, I'm initiated and managed the Google Arts program. So we're providing all on-site programming for Googlers to help inspire their creativity. And that could be private or group music lessons, uh, group theater classes, even private coaching on things like how to give a presentation for people who are worried about public speaking um, or some you know, executive coaching on presence and that sort of stuff. So some of our offerings are more businessy and some are just for fun. Um, things like magic tricks 101 or fire breathing or um, really all kinds of creative expression and, and fun things. We're moving into visual arts like photography, painting, drawing, but also um, make your own plushy stuffed animal. I mean, like all kinds of arts and crafts to get people feeling more creative. Wow, that's amazing. So you are the person who's in charge of bringing all the people in to or bringing people from inside to to lead those 
those classes and events and things like that? Yeah. So I have some really good partners um, and those vendor companies are bringing on-site um, program management experience and also the teachers themselves. So I have some really good staff that are doing a lot of the creative thinking of, hey, what else could Googlers use to be more creative and sourcing the right teachers and doing all the scheduling, registration, booking room, stuff like that. Wow. It sounds like a lot of fun and also very, um, a lot to manage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It is, but it's so interesting and it's so exciting when um, Googlers are being inspired that to me, it's not work at all. I consider it a blessing to be working on any of this. That is so cool. So I know one of the areas where you and I are very much in alignment is that you are really big on focusing on the enjoyment of the process Mm. and not on the perfection of the product. Mm. And can you talk about how that, how you incorporate that into your, into your work, into your teaching or all the things that you do? Mm. Yeah. I'm a big believer in process and, um, thinking of things as a practice. Uh, I like to do what's called acro yoga, which is the combination mm. of robotics and yoga, um, where people are working together, usually in trios with someone supporting someone else's weight. So you're like balancing on someone else's hands and feet. And that third person is spotting to make sure everyone's safe. Um, and that like all yoga practices is considered a practice. Uh, you continue to do it in order to get better, but there's no like, end state there's no like oh okay now you're perfect um and i think it's the same way in all of the creative arts you're never like done practicing piano (laughs) you're never like the perfect ballerina there's like always more room for growth experimentation so i think that that's a beautiful thing i try to bring that into my work um because Similarly, the the way that we're working together and the programs that we offer each other are never perfect. And I think we slow each other, slow ourselves down, slow each other down by getting attached to one answer or one outcome or one idea um, when just about anything could always be iterated on to become better. Yeah, absolutely. I talk about that a lot in my book, The Creative Sandbox Way. And I talk about how, uh, what is the Oh, I'm going to space on the, um, oh yeah. Um, you know, everybody hates creating crap, right? Nobody wants to create crap. And Mm -hmm. I talk about how we need the crap Mm -hmm. because it's the crap that fertilizes the good stuff. (laughs) The crap is fertilizer. Well, you also have to start somewhere. Exactly. Of creating crap, then you're just going to inhibit yourself from doing anything. Like, I really, I mean, the good thing about like Google Docs is you just put something out there and you say to everyone, hey, here's this terrible load of crap, like you said, please make it better for me. And then everyone loves to make things better. Like editing is really easy and fun. Um, So yeah, I like to be that person who just takes a stab at the first draft of a website or takes a stab at a first draft of a prezo or an email because um, it's easy to just throw something out there 
try not to be too attached to it with the knowledge that everyone's input is just going to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. That, that has changed my entire approach to everything as a creator. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big improviser and like all of my creative expressions, pretty much I am very drawn to improv. I'm an improviser. I, I'm as a musician, I'm drawn to jazz as, um, as a dancer, I'm drawn to contact improv, like everything I do, I'm drawn to improv. And as a visual artist, I do these daily doodles. Mm. And when I, and sometimes I do them on uh, Facebook lives. And when I do them on Facebook lives, I always start out by saying, okay, here's a blank page, right? We all have a fear of the blank page because the blank page is pristine, right? It's perfect. Mm. And anything we do is going to screw up that perfection, right? That's what our gremlins are saying inside our heads. So how do we deal? How do I deal with fear of the blank page? Mm. I make it unblank. (laughs) And I just do anything. I just make a scribble. And now I can't have fear of the blank page anymore. I can have fear of a scribble, Mm. but I can't have fear of a blank page. And now all I have to do is respond to that scribble, just respond to the reality of what's there. And it's so much easier to respond to the reality of what's there than to respond to this like massive, you know, anything. You can do anything and anything you do is going to make it imperfect, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think improv theater is another really good training tool on that, like you said, where they, the improv theater teachers frequently will say, whatever you offer is a gift. Yes. Um, you know, you might start a scene with something that's really dumb, but whatever you give, that's a gift to your partner who then gets to pick up that gift and give you a gift back. And I think it can be helpful for me, at least, when I, I'm not sure how to start or I'm scared that what I'm going to say or do first is wrong, to just think of this as, okay, I'm giving a gift to these people I'm partnering with, and they're going to turn it right back around to me. Um, no matter what it is. Exactly. Or even you're in the middle of something and you're trying to say something and nobody can hear it because a loud plane goes by overhead. That's a gift. Mm -hmm. You can use that loud plane going by overhead to do something with it. Everybody heard it. It just happened. So instead of ignoring it and pretending it didn't happen, (laughs) use it, right? It's a gift. I was at Burning Man one year and was meeting with the huge team of artists that worked together on the temple that year. And we were having, trying to have a very serious work meeting about finishing up the various things before it opened. And this big art car rolled by with these massive speakers blaring this really awesome dance music. And the organizers that were running that meeting, as you said, could have tried to like continue talking over the music or being like upset about the music that was blocking this meeting. But instead they started dancing. And so we all like (laughs) had this mini like two minute dance party. And then as soon as the truck rolled by and the music had faded, we went on with our meeting. So yes, you have to respond to what you're given. I love that. I know uh, speaking of, Burning Man, which has become quite a movement. I know that you mentioned that one of the one of the things that you might be interested in talking about is how anyone can start a movement. Mm. Yeah. I I think that 
people have a lot of ideas and um, when they, when they feel that they've got something that other people want, uh, it's worth acting on. Um, and things don't always work out. I had an idea that uh, <laughs> we should have something called green personal trainers. That's not like the color they wear. That would be like green as in environmentally friendly. Um, because it seems like people want personal trainers to help them get in shape. And I know a lot of people who want to be environmentally friendly. Uh, so if you were to put those two together, this trainer could help people like get up to speed on how to bicycle safely in their neighborhood and get them kitted up so they can bike at night and in the rain and help them find a local farmer's market and cook more vegetarian and vegan. Like all of the things that are environmentally friendly are also excellent ways to get in shape. So if you were to do those things together, um, I think this would be a great business idea. And I sort of was rolling on that for a little bit and then um, found that it was not the right time and place and people I think they just wanted to drive their cars um, <laughs> so anyway not all ideas work but I do think that it's it's great practice for all of us speaking of process and practice to try out these ideas and see if they take hold and have root um, and then also acknowledge when they're not taking root and it might not be the right time and place and move on to other things yeah maybe five years from now it might be the right time or the right place or person or yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Well, um, I want to be respectful of your time and I know you are, it's a work day for you. And, uh, I have this thing called something cool and I don't know if I mentioned that in our email exchanges back and forth. Did you bring something cool? I right now today, I feel like acro yoga is my cool. Um, <laughs> So um, I just went to Divine Play, which is their annual convention. It's usually up in Portland. It's usually in October, but a little bit different each year. So if you haven't ever tried Acroyoga, I definitely recommend it. It's a global movement. So no matter where you are listening from, um, you can find probably an Acroyoga teacher near you, just acroyoga.com. Um, and the, one of the things I really like about it is how because Acroyoga can only be practiced with other people, it is an instant community builder. Um, and as soon as you find your local Facebook Acroyoga group or whatever it is, you will find other people that want to play with you. So these days I feel like one of the big problems of our time is going to be loneliness and social isolation. And I think we need more global movements like Acroyoga that are putting people together in person, playing, and enjoying each other in a very positive way. Um, so I would recommend people get hooked up with that community and uh, practice and play and laugh. I love it. There's one of the members in my online community, the Creative Sandbox, is an acro yoga practitioner. She lives in Switzerland. And so I've been hearing about it from her. So I'm so delighted that you mentioned it as you're something cool. Super yes. excited. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Awesome. Great. And my something cool is an object. It is a Bose Quiet Comfort 20 earphones, which I recently got for my birthday and got to use on the plane. And they are these active noise canceling in-ear earphones that put that package up in this tiny little zipper compartment 
that fits in my little carry-on extra bag. And they don't eliminate the noise, the plane noise, but they dramatically reduce it like way better than just wearing earplugs. And I wish I had gotten them years ago. They like, I think a lot of the fatigue that I feel from flying is from the noise Mm. And they are just amazing. And if you plug it into your phone or your iPod or whatever and listen to music, it's almost like the noise is gone. If you if you turn some music on and put on the active noise cancellation, they're not cheap. They're like 250 bucks or something. Yeah. But oh my God, they are so <laughs> worth it. So that is my something cool. I will never fly without them again. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, they're really awesome. What I can't wait is for when we get earbuds that help people in a crowded environment hear each other speaking. Like when you're in that noise. Yeah. I want, and I think the technology is being developed right now, um, for the the earbuds to specifically pick out the person that you're trying to listen to and amplify yes. that for you. Yes, and you know that's coming. Yeah. Well, Anna, this has been so great to get a chance to connect with you and hear a little bit about the amazing things that you're doing and the creative as well. Yeah, all your other creative sandbox items. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me, and have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Happy Thanksgiving coming. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. That's it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Anna Botelio. Let me know if you resonated and thank you so much for joining me today. If you're getting value out of this podcast, as always, share it with a friend. And I would be super appreciative if you would take a moment, hop on over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. If you need step-by-step instructions, you can find them at creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes dash review. That's creativesandboxway.com slash iTunes hyphen review. And if you email me to let me know that you left a review and let me know how the podcast has made a difference in your own life, that is how you can apply to be considered for the listener spotlight. If I pick you, we will have a really fun, relaxed conversation, and you will get to be featured on the podcast as a guest, just like Anna Patelio was featured on the podcast. Super cool. That is it. Until next time, thanks again for joining me, and go get creating. Subscribe at creativesandboxway.com slash podcast.